Hello, everyone. Welcome to World Health Purdue's Health Huddle podcast, formerly Timmy Talks. So our mission for this podcast is to educate our members on global health issues and promote meaningful engagement in our societies through fruitful conversation, lifelong learning, and advocacy. My name is Ella Domingo, host of World Health Purdue's Health Huddle, and I'm a third-year doctor pharmacy student here at Purdue University. Today, we have the honor of hosting Dr. Gloria Sachdev, President and CEO of the Employers Forum of Indiana, and Grace Vukovic, an undergraduate member of World Health Purdue studying public health as this episode's guest to dive into health policy. Thank you so much to you both for being here with us today. And I'm very excited to hand it over to Grace to sort of take the reins on this conversation. So if you both could introduce yourself, so that would be wonderful. Hello, my name is Grace Vukovic, and as Ella previously stated, I am a sophomore undergraduate here studying uh, public health with a specialization in health policy and management. And um, yeah, I've always had an interest in health policy, and I've um, just wanted to sit down and talk to Dr. Sachdev today to get more into it and for those who are also interested in it as well. Thank you, Ella, for inviting me, and thank you, Grace, as well. Um, exciting to hear that you are interested in health policy. I've taught at Purdue for 15 years in health policy and was a course director for the uh, health policy course for pharmacy students, For and it's a required course for our P3 students. I won't be course director this year, but we'll be teaching in it a little bit, so I look forward to seeing you in that class, Ella. So um, Dr. Sachdev, um, my first question for you is that I know a lot of people might have a very vague idea of what health policy is, but coming up from a professional, do you think that you could give a more, I want to say, uh, adequate or better explanation as to what health policy is and what it entails and how you're involved in it personally? Sure, I'd be happy to. So health policy, just at a very high level, um, is using evidence, you know, to really move policy forward, either at the organizational level and an organ at the organization level could be even at Purdue. So there may be some health policy uh, ideas and improvements, maybe around vaccinations that you might be interested in moving forward. But, and, you know, what are the right policies that need to be in place? There may be some policies you don't agree with. And then what's the evidence that you would use to, to kill those policies or block those policies? We also oftentimes think of policy beyond the organization and into state legislative policy and even national legislative policy. There is a difference between policy and politics. I love policy. I don't really love politics, but sometimes it's, uh, you know, you have to engage with politics to get sound policy over the finish line. But policy in and of itself is apolitical, typically. <laughs> and in my role, um, so I head up the Employers Forum of Indiana. We are a not-for-profit 501c3 organization that's really focused on advancing and uh, sustainable policy and improving the affordability of healthcare for employers and all Hoosiers um, across the state. So we have educational programming. We put a lot of stuff on our website. Uh, we have meetings on a quarterly basis amongst 
all the stakeholders in healthcare. So that's employers, because they're, you know, as an employee or as a student, you might have insurance, uh, but, and you may pay a co-payment for it, but then your employer is picking up typically the rest of it. Uh, especially if you're at Purdue getting insurance through Purdue, even though you might say, well, I have an insurance card, the insurance card, they're oftentimes just processing claims. So in the healthcare you know, spectrum, you've got employers, insurance companies, hospitals, physician groups, and, and that's just on the medical side. But then you also have the pharmacy side, the pharmacy benefit managers and the pharmacies. And then you have all the other providers and a lot of consultants. So we all meet together. So it's a big group of us every quarter. And we really partner to try to figure out this tough space of making healthcare more affordable for all of us. Perfect. And then uh, you just briefly mentioned how you strive to make healthcare more affordable. And I know we were talking about this before, but could you please um, kind of divulge into, do you think that because of COVID-19 and the pandemic, do you think that making healthcare more affordable for those who might not be able to afford healthcare as much or for those who do not have access to it. Do you think that because of the pandemic, we are inching closer to making that a reality or is it pushing us backwards? It's a really great question. I mean, the short of it is yet to be determined because we're still in the middle of the pandemic, but I can, I can, you know, we can kind of point to some signs here. Um, the federal government issued and provided a lot of funding to hospitals to help them through the pandemic. But their prices of healthcare have gone up for other services. And part of that is they had to shut down um, providing services that were more lucrative for them, like outpatient services. And uh, But now since this year, since 2021, they've caught up financially with that. But there's no incentive for them to decrease their prices, because why would you? Let's say you went to Starbucks and it was like two bucks, but I don't know, there was a shortage of beans. And then they, you know, uh, had to do get their beans from elsewhere. And so they charged two fifty. And now they can get their beans, but they're not going to go back to two bucks. So like everyone was happy paying two fifty. So that's the number we're going to go with. And that's the thing about healthcare. We need to have more price transparency because if you have transparency, then you can start pushing down on that, right? It's a, everything's kind of a supply and demand, but it can't just be that you go into healthcare and you get a bill like a month later and you can't afford it. And then they start garnish, garnishing wages and things like that. So we've been working a lot on healthcare affordability. We work to ban surprise billing which is, I'm happy to go into it if you want, but basically it, it sounds like what it is, which is, you know, you'd go to a place that you would consider to be in network for yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps somebody you saw, maybe an emergency room physician or an anesthesiologist or radiologist, pathologist, you know, someone that you don't really pick, you, you're like, I'm going to this hospital because that's in network for me. Uh, but you don't know if every little individual in that hospital is in network. And then they balance bill you hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars. 
And so that's a problem. We did um, we did prohibit that at the state level. And then last December, it got prohibited at the federal level. So that is really good news. It hasn't gone into effect at the federal level, but it's already in effect here at the state level. So if anyone's getting surprise bills, they, I don't know, they need to really... Uh, they can contact me or they can uh, let the hospital billing people know that they, they're not, um, they don't have to pay for those. Um, but there are, there are a lot of other opportunities in the policy space uh, to make healthcare more affordable, but we feel like transparency, just like, you know, you get to see what the prices are for everything else that you shop for up front. And you need to have quality transparency also so that you can be better shoppers of care. And I think all of our engineering students and computer science folks will come up with awesome apps to put it on our phone so we can shop for care and know where the best price and best quality services are for us. Right now, it's kind of a crapshoot. You know, <laughs> you just kind of... I don't know. Everyone just goes, Hey, I need to see a dermatologist. Do you know of somebody? And you don't really know if they're any good or not. And you have no idea how much you're going to pay. And that's ridiculous. Right. So I, I think the affordability question is um, really important. One thing we have a couple of ideas and we're sharing them with legislators right now. So if your audience has any ideas that they'd like to share with us, now's the time to do it because our state, legislative session starts in January. So they can share it with their legislators, um, no matter where they live, their legislators, their state legislators would love to hear from them mm -hmm. about any ideas. And they really do wanna do what's in the best interest of you know, students and people who vote, which are all of you as well, um, their constituents and, and the, pop the population at large. Thank you. And then in terms of that, I know within the recent election, there has been a lot of um, controversy in terms of universal health care and the universal health care systems that have been that have been used in, you know, the more European countries. And in terms of affordability, I'd like to know your thoughts and your opinions on the universal health care system and if it's something that's it's if it's sorry if it's feasible um, in the United States? It's a great question, Grace. So as, as you might know, Bernie Sanders is coming to town, right? Coming to <laughs> Lafayette. So it's a good, good question to ask. So to, to answer that question, I, I always like to be evidence-based and look at the data. And uh, that's really what policy is about. So in, we have, different purchasers of healthcare. We really only have four. So you have patients that pay out of pocket people, right? You have Medicare and we, we've all heard of Medicare for all, but what does that really mean? Right. There's, and that's typically for people who are 65 and older. Um, Medicaid is our, what we pay for folks that are uh, lower income or what we call, you know, on Medicaid. So that, that is not based on age and it's, organized at the state level where Medicare is organized at the national level. And then we have employer sponsored insurance. So basically anyone that's working and they can get insurance through their employer. So that's it. I mean, there, there aren't any others. It's you're in one of these buckets. 
So we did a study and it's a national study. It was the first hospital price transparency study in the country. And it looked at what employers were paying as a percent of what Medicare was paying. So, you know, Bernie's things, Medicare for all, and everyone's like, well, is that needed or how, how bad are we? And what we found across 3,112 hospitals in 49 states plus DC and all the acute care hospitals in Indiana is that at a, at a national average, we are paying 247% more than Medicare. So that's a lot, right? And that came out in September of 2020. And we contracted with Rand Corporation to do that analysis. Analysis, and it was funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So all legit, right? Like these are really awesome, uh, high, highly respected organizations. Um, Indiana is, while the national average is 247%, Indiana is sitting at 304%. Oh my goodness. So we are sixth highest in the country, which is terrible. And then when you look within the state, I mean, some hospitals are 500% of Medicare. And so people have more and more like what we call high deductible health plans. And they're just paying more out of pocket because the employers can't afford it. So they push it down more on the employees. Everyone's paying more for health insurance, right? And then your health insurance is not even very good because you have to pay out of pocket for so much of it before it even kicks in. And that's all happening because really the price of healthcare is so astronomically high. Right. Medicare negotiates and they're like, uh, uh-uh, we're paying, this is what we're paying mm-hmm. uh, on the commercials and Medicaid says, this is what we're paying. But on the commercial side, which is the employer side, it's all negotiated. These insurance companies negotiate with every hospital and everybody's price is different for different types of services. And so for, as a person, you know, you're working for someone and, and it's not, you don't even know where to begin. I mean, people don't even know how to choose their benefits, right? And the benefits these days, there's not, there, there's a, you know, we have to start shopping for healthcare differently and we need more transparency. But your question was about universal healthcare. So I would say a lot of countries have universal healthcare. I'm a fan and I think it could work. I'm not talking about uniform payment. I'm talking about uniform health care. So uniform right. health care is just like we have education. Everybody in the United States gets K through 12 education for free, right? You get this base level of education and then you can be functional and out in society. If you want more, you can go to college, right? <clears throat> and you can pay for it. Now, some countries, they pay for college as well. So that why don't we have that here in the United States? Why isn't there some universal coverage for just some baseline health insurance, meaning everyone should be able to go to primary care provider really as much as they want. And that prevents them from emergency room visits and hospitalizations and, and things like that. Countries like Australia are good examples where you can access primary care anytime you want, you know, um, and it's easily accessible. We have this misconception of, oh, if we had some sort of universal health care that, that the lines would be so long and we would never get in and um, there'd be all this delay in care. But that hasn't happened in other countries. So I'm a fan of 
us rethinking about how to avoid expensive places of care, which are hospitals. Also, when you're in a hospital, you're not productive, right? <laughs> you're, you're not working. Um, you're not studying. You're, you're just not as productive. So it really is an economic development. It really impacts the economy mm-hmm. if we don't have just a foundation of healthcare accessibility for folks. And that includes pharmacists, nurses, mental health providers, you know, addiction counselors, like all of this stuff should be accessible to us, whether you have money or not, because the folks that don't have money, well, they're going to go to the emergency room and the taxpayers are still going to pay for it. Right. So you might, and they're just going to access a more expensive site of care, they're going to need that care, or they're going to let it go for so long. And then they'll be in the hospital with some crisis or something. So I do think we need to do a much better job of being on the front end of this. There's the, there are studies, uh, lots of studies that show that the United States compared to all other well-developed countries like our peer countries, such as England and France and Switzerland, Mm -hmm. that we spend the most by a lot on healthcare and our, we are, our outcomes are the worst, you know? So here in the United States, we think, oh, well, we have the best healthcare. Uh, We don't, Um, we have some of the worst outcomes. So it's really important for us to you know, I appreciate your question because it's really important for us to start thinking out of the box. Right. Thank you for that input. It was very insightful. Um, kind of moving towards that, I remember we were talking before about vaccine hesitancy and that I know a lot of students on campus are still considering whether or not to get the vaccine. And I know um, that you probably have a lot of insight into this as um, a healthcare professional. And I was just wondering if you could provide some of that insight for us today about your opinion on vaccine hesitancy and how you would um, advise for it. So great question. So I'm a pharmacist by background and training, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be right away uh, leaning towards the science on this because of that. I am not on Twitter or Facebook or all of this stuff. I, I will say I, I have come across all the concerns that people have, and I do want to be really thoughtful. I think we need to have an open dialogue for both sides. What we can't do is just shut the other people out because if you don't hear what their concerns are, why they're not getting vaccinated, you have no chance of ever educating them and getting them to be vaccinated, if that's the end goal. And of course, for Purdue University, that is the goal. Congratulations on being 79% vaccinated, I saw, so very good. Um, But for that 21%, that's not, it's a big percentage of your population. We are seeing students that are vaccinated. So some of their concerns are, look, people that are vaccinated are getting uh, sick too. So what's the point? That's one thing that we need to address, right? So you have to hear what their concerns are. Um, Another common concern I hear is they're worried about safety. The drug, uh, the vaccine was just pushed through the government so quickly. I mean, can we really trust the FDA? 
did their due diligence, you know, uh, mm -hmm. regarding this vaccine process. And then the third one I've heard are just potential harms that could happen. And these are more in the, like the conspiracy theory space, but you know, they are, maybe they're tracking us. Um, maybe it causes infertility. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, like just things like that. So understanding that, and there are a lot of, a lot of people in healthcare that work in healthcare, nurses, doctors, pharmacists that also have some sort of vaccine hesitancy um, and understanding where, where they're coming from, going to the data and presenting it is really important. So what I would say to students is yes, there are people who have had the vaccine that are getting coronavirus they are getting admitted to the hospital and some of them are landing in the ICU. So it is not 100% bulletproof. It was never meant to be 100% bulletproof. That's the point. So I can show you and you can find this and call any hospital. They all have dashboards now. The State Department of Health has a dashboard. You know, it's over 90%, 99% in some cases of the patients that are in the hospital for cases, for hospitalizations and for ICU visits are the unvaccinated, okay? There are some people in that are in that one to 10% that are vaccinated, but almost none of them are on the ventilator. All the people that are on the ventilator are the unvaccinated. So that tells me two things that tells me is, okay, yes, you could get it. And why is that? I mean, we need to keep studying that. Is it something about some people's immune systems? You know, not everyone launches a really robust immune system. Some people's antibodies seem to go away, like their protection goes away after a few months. Um, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. And it may not be as high, but it offers some protection. And we believe it offers some protection because of the hospital cases, you know, and admissions, ICU visits, and people on ventilators. We, we know it's offering some protection just by looking at it. And just by that alone, I would say, do it, you know, like get yourself vaccinated. Now, some people say, well, you know, and, and I will say the Delta variant that represents over 90% of the variants that are what people have right now of all cases is highly contagious. It's super contagious. So even if you personally don't get symptoms, you know, your roommate or someone you meet, you know, just have lunch or coffee with, they could get it and they could have a totally different reaction to it. Or they could give it to someone like their younger brother or sister who's not vaccinated because they're not even qualified for it and they could get really sick. So it is about yourself. And it's also about protecting, I guess, protect Purdue, right? <laughs> so they have their protect, protect Purdue signs. But I'd say protect your families, protect your communities, but mainly protect yourself. The data right now that has just come out in the last couple of weeks, it speaks for itself. Thank you. Thank you so much. And now um, I kind of want to ask you as an educator in terms of health policy, how would you advise that Purdue students become more involved in the health policy process, whether it's on campus or um, 
in Indiana alone or within their community, how would you um, advise that maybe even choose while choosing a major? What majors could possibly feed into the health policy line and make someone more involved in health policy itself? Awesome. Okay. So I get this question a lot from pharmacy students because I get 150 every class, 150 students every class. And they would say, oh my gosh, should I go to law school? Because I really want to go, I want to impact policy. And my response to them and to all of your, all students is this look at our legislators, okay? Look at their backgrounds. You are going to be 10 times more educated coming out of Purdue with whatever degree you have than most of the people that are legislators today. Um, and you, the biggest thing is you, you know, Purdue gives you a really strong background, no matter what your degree is to be evidence-based, right? Look at the data. You'll know how to look at articles, research a topic, even if it's something you don't know a lot about. So you could be in the engineering school. You could be in computer science. There are a lot of ways to impact health policy from that way, because there's all the technology pieces, all that needs to happen in the space of not just price transparency, so prices uh, from the federal level, hospitals were required to post their prices just starting January. There are several startup companies that are pulling down these files and trying to make sense of it, right? And starting next January, 2022, insurance companies are gonna have to post the prices. But people need to, it needs to be consumable. So there's all the, you know, all these really bright students can definitely have an impact there. Uh, with the organizations that they're already engaging in. So technology organizations, computer science organizations, we have all different national organizations in pharmacy, medicine, nursing, public health, and then they have student chapters. Those are a great way to get engaged at, you know, just student chapters, student organizations. And then we do have a political um, chapters on campus, whether you're Republican or Democrat or independent, and get involved in those because health policy and healthcare affordability is on everyone's list. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. If it's not, I mean, it's climate change, you know, healthcare affordability, gun control, mental health. Like these are everyone's issues because they're important to all of us. But the strategies is where we, we need to have honest conversations, right? And hear everyone's opinion out. And then again, go to the data. No, we don't know all the data, but there are lots of great organizations that provide, uh, and I would say, you know, nonpartisan advice. I try to stay away from some of the websites that are just very politically oriented because you, that's not, you know, you guys just too smart for that, right? You're really trying to make a difference and you, just don't get, don't necessarily get sucked into partisan policy, but you do want to, you might need partisanship. And by partisan, I just mean your political affiliation. You might need that so that, again, you can have awesome policy ideas, but you need politics, you need legislators to get it over the finish line, right? So you have to partner with them, help educate them, and they don't know uh, a lot of this stuff. So one thing I've been involved in policy and worked as an advisor, a policy advisor to state legislators for over 11 years. And now sometimes, 
people, you know, when they ask me to um, at the national level as well. So sitting on a healthcare policy task force uh, for the federal government right now also. And the conversations are like this, you know, like what are some ideas that you have? How are we going to improve it? And then everyone shares their ideas and I try to back mine up with a bunch of evidence. And then that's how, you know, you start having a rational conversation versus having it be like a turf battle or just about money. Mm -hmm. So on a national level, there are so many organizations that are in healthcare. So I mentioned at the the school level, there are all these student chapters, lots of student organizations, just get involved. If there's not one that's got that, you know, right angle that you like, just create a club, find a few like-minded people and make it happen. Um, At the state level, there are state level chapters for all different things. So for example, the American Pharmacist, I'm sorry, the Indiana Pharmacist Association, they have a health policy committee and they want students on that committee. And I'm sure that's the same for the nursing association and medical and um, the Indiana Manufacturers Association. They have a huge policy committee, the nursing, I mean, the ISTA, the Indiana State Teachers Association, they have a focus on health. So it's education, but everybody's got, no matter what organization, almost everyone's focusing on healthcare. So you can get involved there. And then at the national level, and that can be a little intimidating, but I would encourage you to just do it. Uh, put your put your name in there and use your faculty to get recommendations. If there's a national organization and they have you know, a, a council on public policy. So I was a chair for the council on public policy for the American Society of Health System Pharmacists for a couple of years. We had two seats that were for students, you know, and um, people can just apply for that. And then you review their applications. And we didn't really get hardly any applicants, to be honest. You know, I just think people are so intimidated by, I think that you know, hundreds of people are going to apply and there's no way they would get it. So why bother? But that's not the case. And everyone wants to hear student opinions on this because students are amongst the highest uninsured population that we have. So you guys are paying for healthcare out of pocket. And then what happens is you don't have money. (laughs) And so you're not accessing healthcare unless you really need to, right? You're going to go if you think your leg is broken, but you're like, oh, it might be infected, but I'm just going to work on it at home. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to go in and get some really expensive antibiotic or something like that. And that we need to fix that. I mean, student health insurance is a huge problem. We we as a country have not addressed it well. Thank you. Thank you so much for your input. Um, Now, these are all, all the questions that I have today. I'd first like to start off and say thank you so much for joining me and talking to me. I know that I myself and I'm sure a bunch of our listeners when they hear this will have a much better idea of what health policy is and how to get involved. And once again, thank you so much, Dr. Sachdev, for joining me today. Uh, thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it. Boiler up. Hammer down. <laughs> Will Purdue. If you're on Spotify, please give us a follow. And if, on, if you're on YouTube, hit subscribe. And that's all for this podcast episode. Stay safe and stay well. And we will see you next time in our next health huddle.